big decisions, paths followed, choices made. This is Connections, conversations about life and work. I'm your host, Jim Allen. Ben Morsom yes. has written a book, Engagement Decoded, How to Navigate Deeper Human Connections and Drive the Change You Want. So this is 25 years, 25 odd years of distilled into one volume. Mm-hmm. It's your life's work, is it not? It is. I would go so far as to say it, it, the, the realization was 30 years ago, is April 1992. So you've I, got the date. I got the date. What it's happened on that date? Did somebody hurt you? or? Uh, well, that was basically when I was plucked out of college. Um, into an apprentice program long before the apprentice actually became a thing it was I would say it was more of an experiment which is ironic because that leads to a lot more about my life's work Um, I was put into a one-week experiment to be hyper trained into the role of an associate producer in a marketing company and called communicate communicate, where we have some yes we have some I worked there connection. from 87 to 90, and you were after that. So. Yeah, but I have to say I thought in April 1992 that I had made the biggest mistake of my life. By going there? By going there. by Yeah, and that actually, in hindsight, it was 30 years later, here I am, I'm in this same industry, the you know communications, experiences, marketing. But it took me that time. The reason why I thought that is coming out of training in an interest in film. I mean, my initial ambition was was to understand film. And then I realized in those first couple of years of college that it was the psychology of film that interested me more. You know, why does it move us? Why do we go? Why can we sit and pay attention for all that time? And then I go to, you know, this new world of marketing communications and events. So these conferences and meetings failed your expectations? They yeah. weren't... You didn't find them engaging. You didn't find them motivational or no, I felt, persuasive or anything. No, the the I things felt, that they claimed to be. Exactly. Right? I felt, and this was the, the first taste I had in trying to understand what engagement was. And, you know, here you have in conferences, the difference is when you go to a film, you choose to go. And it better right. be good or you're never going back type of thing. And, you know, after a good film, I mean, I was a film lover, you think about it for hours, days after you reflect on it, it has a, it, you know, it moves you. A good movie, yes. A good movie does. And in an event, in essence, you're, for the most part, a captive audience and stimulus is just being thrust upon you. I would call it carpet bombing, right. and which, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, more is more. I'm just going to, you know, dump all of this stimuli on an audience and hope that they retain some of it or move. But you're a kid, right? There's only so much you could do in 1992. Uh, yeah. But And then the next few years, we saw each other around. You were, you were at another company. I worked there on mm-hmm. a freelance basis. I mean, we know a lot of the same people. So, you, But everyone kind of does everything the same in a sense. Yeah. Is, is that fair to say? Even today, is that fair to say? Yeah, same format. So you got... You got kind of antsy, or or, uh, and by '97, you you want you, as you say in the book, you walked, very yes. dramatic. You walked yeah. and started your own company, I stepped onto a group. glass bridge. Yep. And in 1997, is that That's right? Correct. 
Um, so what was the motivation there? You just, you had worked a few years at that point. Yeah. I, you know, during those first years, I had a, I kind of created a policy when I was, when I started at Communique, I said, okay, I'm going to do this, but I won't do it for more than two years. And I don't know where the two year rule came up, but I felt like two years is enough to learn from, from this place. I, I kind of had realized that my ambition wasn't to be an employee. I felt like I wanted to make a change in an industry that needed change. The only way to do that was to learn as much as I can and then figure out a way to be able to amplify it and experiment myself with more freedom. Because in those years leading up to 97, I started to test theories in small ways. Because as you said, I was a kid, I could only impact so much. But I could the things I could impact, like sound of an event. Why can't we score an event? Why do we have to use top 40 music? Or the visual imagery of an event. Why can't it be cinematic? More So I, I realized subconsciously I started, you know, infusing where I could the principles that I know worked and attracted us in our daily lives. And the, the one thing that I, I really thought about and why it disappointed me in the beginning is I knew instinctively no one goes home to watch clip art. No one goes home to read two-page memos. You don't communicate to your spouse like that. You know, you want to go home and read a, a good story. You want to have good stories and conversation. You want to watch things that are emotive and cinematic. I learned that the three words not to say to corporate leadership were feeling, heart, or emotion. Yet instinctively, I knew those were the things that actually were the 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 you know the secret to actually connecting an audience back to your company. Now you sent me your book, um, and and while waiting for your book to arrive, it it uh, it's kind of stimulated some uh, you know memories in in my mind. So they're all back in that. It, it may or may not involve. Well, you, I hope but, it was engaging. <laughs> well, I started I started to think about something I heard about you in the late '90s when you were starting debut. And correct me if I'm wrong. It was like. You just mentioned music, yes. right? So electronic dance music, does that yeah. ring a bell? So sure is that does. part of your origin story? Like you mentioned the use of music early in your book. Yes. So yes. is that a big deal with you? It was a huge deal because it was the first thing that I actually could affect without asking permission right. for events. And I could impose my own style. And then I started to become known, you know, in the, the with, with the clients that I would work with that, you know, Ben's going to score our event. It just so happened that music is also a personal passion of mine. I, I produce music, right. electronic dance music. Did yeah. you ever see the Zac Efron movie, uh, We Are Your Friends? Where, where he's, he's a, a DJ. He's a yes. DJ. And, he, and he would manage the audience and the flow and resonate yes. the music to the audience. Yes. Exactly. The, that was the director was one of the guys behind the MTV show Catfish, which I was watching at the time. So I made sure I watched the movie. Yeah. But there's a really good scene in there where they explain, if anyone's watching and wants to learn more about uh, electronic dance music, you just Google Emily Ratajkowski dance scene. Because mm -hmm. then Zach, Zach Efron of High School Musical fame is, uh, really does a good explanation of how, like, the way he describes it, zoning in on your kind of heartbeat and then maybe raising it and then syncing everyone. That's right. So it was kind of, it was, it was good. I recommend uh, you. Uh, well, it's. Google, it, Google's your friend. It is. And that's interesting because that ended up kind of touching on a really foundational element of what, uh, you know, has now today come out of a lot of our research and our approach as a company of the fusion of behavior and, and experience design is, is resonance. 
um, we call it cognitive resonance for what we're trying to achieve to, you know, to, to fuse a company and an audience and close that gap. And in that scene, it's a really good example of using music to create resonance. And so I guess what I, you know, the key highlight of my whole journey through those companies, and I look back at it now, prior to 97, was a testing ground, informal. Like I didn't realize that that's what I was actually doing all the time, that I was experimenting. Uh, because one of the things I did, I started to do in 92 when I felt kind of, you know, regret is I stopped, most producers look at the, you know, the stage and the show they're delivering and trying to execute on. What I started to do, I was turned to the audience and I became like consumed with watching the audience. So like that scene again, respond to the event and figure out how to adapt. It's like... So that you mentioned that in the book, you, you, you can... Your goal is to make little adjustments while while the event's going on. Right. So calibrate it. Is the, are, do people think the room's too cold? Is the music too loud? Is you know? I mean, there's some things you can't change. Probably the content's kind of right. locked. Well, you can't. You can build the ultimate events. You can build variability into it. So that right. you know, we call it like like I would call it um, an intervention. You know, where right. okay, and and this is where you have to work with your clients more. I mean, my my ultimate goal and vision in the future, which I've sort of been, you know, striving towards, I've been investing in like artificial intelligence um, for in content delivery in a company in LA. And, and, you know, we were exploring the use of wearable devices on audiences pre COVID that we would use these algorithms to watch. So basically think of it this way, we could calibrate an audience, set a, a threshold range of where we know that they are attentive, focused, you know, where their energy is at, a, at an optimal level. Think about an event, a live event that adapts in real time to the human experience, the, the broader audience, because an audience is a collection of individuals. But that being, you know, you build variabilities, like lighting changes can happen, temperature changes can be automated, sets can be automated, you know, have them change. We know if an audience might need restoration, we can then have a host that's trained to say, hey, let's go to a break now. That's That wasn't pre-scheduled. That's an intervention. Or let's build in other other elements yet to be discovered. That's So, so now, again, that EDM, I guess it is it is part of your origin story, but mm -hmm. obviously it's, it's moved well beyond music to all elements of the show, as you're describing yeah. now, to the point where you've coined a, a term, Neuroscaping. I've seen you yes. promote this before the book. So Ben, you're you're in an elevator with Tim Cook. Let's explain neuroscaping to me. Yeah, I your mean, elevator pitch. In other basically, words. neuroscaping is now using behavioral insights to inform design decisions, every design decision for an experience or a communication strategy, so that it is more inclined to resonate on a cognitive level with the audience you want to engage. Thereby, you know, in the end, you're managing the attentional economics, the mo strategic mood induction, and the internalization of value. And that's, in essence, having an experience that is best aligned to the cognitive state of your audience. Okay. You know? And how can that help me, Tim Cook? Uh... Well, it means we look at... Um, you know, focus and attention. We look at cognitive fatigue and looking at 
um, the uh, you know the propensity to to lose attention. We're looking at barriers and opportunities to connect with people, and we determine that at any given time, an audience, whether they're live or virtual, um, or sitting at home watching something passively, is only truly focused 25 to 32 percent of the time, and that's actually uh, probably on the high end of what reality really is. But as scientists, they like to be conservative. Uh, when they determine these things. So neuroscaping for me became this concept, even a a theory initially where if we can keep improving that 1% at a time, you know, we are going to be able to increase, you know, the, the amount of attention, the amount of retention that an audience will have after an event, then that's better for everybody, not just the company, but it's also better for the audience. And Most people look at engagement as more is more. We got to do more to grab attention because attention is a finite resource. And if people are distracted or mind wandering 52% of the time, we need to make noise. And that's what the events were in the beginning, you know, ride a motorcycle down the aisle, blow up some stuff on stage, have this immensely energetic opening. So there we've got their attention. But the truth is, it's also what you don't do that actually, and how you also help people be able to pay attention. And that's what was the biggest missing piece of the equation. And uh, now we design things that manage that. That's why we call it in our methodology, attentional economics, because it's right. a resource. So it's a lot of very advanced language in the book. So, yeah. and, and but what I find impressive is you, you do have, if not on staff, you've got a, a PhD or two on staff or or serving you in an advisory yeah. level. Is that right? Talk yeah, we, we, we've had full-time PhDs and, and scientists on our staff now for the last uh, almost 10 years at our own investment. And that very, definitely makes you different. Yes. Definitely makes you different. So you've got some... Yeah just some walk to talk to the walk or walk to whatever that expression is. right? But not only that, Jim, we put, uh, I built a network because prior to that, look, I'm not the PhD and I'll go up on stage and tell people, but I'll share a lot of really interesting science because what I realized I, where my skill and strength was, and, and it was that I had a passion for seeking research that, you know, and trying to use that to make sense of why should I do this? Like, how can I back up my decision? That's why I say insights to inform design decisions. Right. Every decision of an event, even one lighting decision could have five sub decisions. Does it flash? What color is it? Is it going to move? Is it going to change? We can now use evidence to back all of that up. Yeah, when you say evidence, so you, you can test it mm-hmm. uh, and you've measured it and you've researched audiences. So it's it's notable because you have you've taken the time to do it, which I don't think most people no. would have the time. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to that ninety two to ninety seven period because again, as I said, it conjured up memories for me. And this one has nothing to do with you. You know, and it and it's related to you in the sense that, you know, in the book, it's a very comprehensive book, but you you give away all your Secrets, mm-hmm. right? Like it's yeah. your secret sauce. Here's yeah. here's the it's, recipe. It's all there. It's all there. And I'm I'm writing a speech for the president of Kmart Canada. It doesn't exist anymore. Like the guy might not exist anymore. I hope uh, it wasn't because of your speech. Well, maybe it was. <laughs> it was. Uh, uh, 
he was making a big presentation to the retail council of Canada mm-hmm. or something like that. We went back and forth, you know, a couple of drafts. Finally, he goes, why am I, why am I giving, because he's talking to peers, mm-hmm. much like you are in the book, really. Why am I giving all my secrets away? It needs to be more bland. So we took out all this. So, you know, I go, I said, you know, you want bland, you've, you've, you've come to the right guy. I do bland. That's my specialty. But are you sure you want to give away, uh, share your expertise with everyone? Because if everyone reads this, you're just, Aren't you going to have a lot of little Ben Morsoms mm-hmm. running around? You and know, it's a good question, Jim. I, and I had to sit on that one for a while because, every, you know, we all have this instinct to protect, like, Gollum, you know, our, you know, our precious IP, I guess right. you say. And we spent decades and, you know, I invested everything all the time in back into science, into research. And the way I see it is, like, you know, I wanted to, I saw something broken and wrong with, with the way companies were connecting with people. And I figure, how am I going to amplify this? It's the only way to cha- make a change, you know, on a big scale is to just bite it and put it out there and 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 hope that you create understanding. That's why I was going out and doing a lot of keynotes. I was sharing a lot of the principles of neuroscaping and why. But um, the inner voice experience, which you read, it's in the book. Mm-hmm. There's the formula. You know, this is how to connect so deeply. That I, you know, I came up with seven years ago, and now and we just concluded our the first primary research study on our creative piece. Like, how many agencies go out there and will invest in primary research to test an idea? Because it could go be- either way. In this case, it ended up being very positive. The data, but yep. I guess it. What you know? I guess it speaks to the question is why write the book? Why? Why do you? Is this for? And I guess when I develop some of these questions, it's like, it's your audience, right? Is mm-hmm. it? I can see. Okay, you got your elevator pitch with Tim Cook. You've got. So you speak around North America and Europe. Yeah. How long is that presentation? Like an hour? At the most. Sometimes. So, so you got the elevator pitch version of Neuroscaping, you got the one hour version. This book is the full the full presentation, right? It's yeah. very comprehensive. Um, you know, spoiler alert, you can't finish the book in an hour. To me, it's more like, a, and I mean this in a, in a nice way, it's more like a university course. It's a guide. You, you need to allow time for it to sink in. So mm-hmm. you have to, I had some time, so you could put it down, think about it a bit, perhaps, you know, allow time to review because, you know, I've read it, but I, I'm not ready for you to, you know, test me on right. it because it is comprehensive and quite dense. It's But it's all there if you want yeah. to go back and read it. So how much time would you need to pitch a new client on some of these ideas? Because they're different. Right, you you guys do it differently. Yeah, it's interesting because we have sort of ways of, in which to start with a client. Now right. we, you know, we've kind of it's and and I think part of the reason is sort of going back to why is because it's I need it to be dense because it's a it's a disruptive way of looking at engagement. Right, mm-hmm. so we created you know very simple ways for clients to start and actually. A first engagement, usually with a, you know, a, a large organization, is what we call a behavioral navigator. So it's a way where we can actually look at their challenge, their behavioral challenge. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we get people back to the office without having to mandate? How can we 
attract them back versus force them back or things. There's a there's a problem. So we have a way of segmenting out the research. We also have a lot of our own, which already exists in ways right. that we do it. And then they get a navigator report isn't just like, here, here you go, it's on you. It actually got, helps now guide them, right. f- figuring out what engagement means to them because engagement has many different meanings. It means something for every initiative or every organization. We're finding that behavioral science and research is becoming a little bit more on trend and accepted because everybody understands that every event, communication, any strategy or initiative is asking for a behavior to happen. So that's the reverse math that we do is, if you want behavior out of your event, what do you want? You want people to adopt new ways of doing things. You want them to sell more. You want them to understand something. You want them to give more money. Well, those are all behaviors. We can help you get a better result. They're all all bought in at that point. Now, I mean, you do run into, I mean... some re- resistance occasionally. Of right? course. And of course you Those do. aren't the companies that we, we tend to And you pursue. Well, that was my question. You know? It's like, so you, you know, you, you have a, you know, you have a anecdote, you know, there's this client wants to wear, uh, I don't know, red dress, but high heels and loud music. And that's kind yeah. of against everything that you've probably been trying to educate them. Yeah. But I guess you got to do it or you t- try to talk them out of it. Um, and it made me laugh in the book. You had a client, you, you know, enough with the narrow scape and stuff. Uh-huh. Please don't mention it again. I'm so what, what if you what if you do if your client isn't receptive to some of your do 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 you walk or you just, we we have you we have. have walked and right. you know we're like okay this you know because there's a level of integrity you know you feel like you, I I I've said a lot to my team. There's a lot of business that we either lost or or walked away from, uh, you know, and if we were the average agency, you know, you chase and you want, you'd want it just because you want the money. Well, you know, no, you know, I, I kind of own up to that, that, but at the same time, now what we're realizing is there are companies that are coming to us as well, that are finding us. There's an example, you know, I got three years ago, a message, um, and this guy has become a good friend of mine. Uh, out of San Francisco for Salesforce, you know, probably the the king of events in right. the tech world. I mean, their number one marketing vehicle is events. Dreamforce, if you look it up, it takes over the all of San Francisco every every fall. Just happening. Um, their events are beautiful. They're, you know, they had three hundred incredible talents in the three tallest buildings on the three corners of downtown San Francisco. There's all the, they have everything going for them, and yet. I get reached out to by this guy who who was very progressive and brave to actually question what they're doing. And he asked, you know, his network in the Bay Area, is there anybody that focuses on psychology of experiences that anybody knows at any agencies? And they are partners with the biggest agency in the world that we know, George P. Johnson, another great, great company um, that I'm very proud to also help and support. So we work with other agencies too. So, and... They said no, and he found my name in a white paper on mindful events that was done for IMEX um, back in uh, a few years ago. And, you know, for three years, we've been advising, acting purely as an advisor, looking at sometimes design decisions. We spent a year studying sound for their virtual events. I guess you you need to find those really bold, forward-thinking 
leaders that are willing to hop on board with you. Yeah. CEOs, though, they might be around for some of them. It might be the, the end of their career, the pinnacle of their career. They might have three to five years left anyway. It's like the final three to five years of their career. So they might not want to rock the boat either. So you're kind of looking for unicorns. Are, are you like sometimes? Yeah. Does it feel like that sometimes? Sometimes, but I'm surprised to, to find how many are out there. There are a lot of CEOs out there that are actually concerned and care and realize that the same old doesn't work as effectively as the same old even didn't work as effectively before. So they're now looking for that edge. And this is what we're finding. And most of our business ends up coming out of referrals anyways. And it was before, you know, we fully sort of transitioned. Just word of mouth. Yeah, an advisor. It's like a leader goes from one to the other. I mean... It's we know industries. This is why pharma were really strong because everybody moves around. And right. I mean, you need yeah. you need time to test and measure. Like That's right. time is very valuable. Do you, isn't getting the time to do what you want a challenge? Um, do your clients have the time to do some of the steps that are required? Some do. Some see the the long term, you know, benefits and investments. The Regardless, I mean, there we've had some very short runway projects, you know, two months type right. initiatives where what we do then is we bring all of our learnings to date. And this is why, partly why I'm not afraid to put out the book because I just know, you know, how it's experience. We have the experience, right? So we can bring that to do a rapid program that needs to happen um, and know that it's already going to be more effective because of our learnings and our experience and and even things that we pre-designed and and our methodologies. I think it's the responsibility of anybody that hopes to resonate with an audience to understand what stands in the way of that connection or that resonance, to understand the barriers and that when you actually do understand what stands in the way, that Things like my, you know, how we mind wander, simple things, the the our ability to pay attention versus you know uh, lose attention, um, the, you know how important mood is to the outcomes of things. I think once we understand that, you will never see an audience the same way again. Again, and then I will feel like my goal has been achieved with this book that it, we will make people more empathetic. And that's the word that, you know, I remember in 92 is I had empathy for the audience. I felt, you know, that it, th- it was so unfair what companies were doing, just carpet bombing audiences. And there, there had to be a better way. And this, you know, is a way for me to help people understand and do a favor to all the audiences around the world. It's a better way. Engagement it's a, it's decoded a better way. is the name of the book. It's, yeah. So where where can you get this? Where so, can you if you wanted the book? Where can you get it? Yeah. So a good question. That's a good question. We're um, releasing it on Amazon, so it'll be fully accessible. There will be also an audio book uh, shortly thereafter, um, and actually a hardcover. Are you narrating the audio book? I'm narrating. So you're the ri- reading the whole thing. I'm that's reading a, the whole thing. That's yeah. a lot of work. I've, well. You know, it kind of has to go in line with our authenticity principle, right? right. Because is a lot. There is a lot of personal stuff in there, and I figure, 
I need to invest in, in doing that, so I'll do that. Well, it's an interesting read, uh, very provocative, and, and again, you're giving away all your secrets. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll redact. We'll put a lot of redactions. <laughs> well, how do you redact, uh, redact an audiobook? That's uh, uh, Exactly. It just beeps. Well, hey, thanks for coming, and uh, good luck with the book. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or if you want to be on the show, send me an email at connectionsvideopod at gmail.com. And please subscribe.